I'm just going to come a little bit closer to you because my eyes are not the greatest and uh, I don't know if these lights come on here on the stage or not, but um, I've got one of those Bibles that the Prince, oh, I'm going further into darkness than instead of more into light. Now I'll move back a bit, shall I? Well, it's great to be here with you today. Um, Elaine and I, uh, pastor of the church in Prudhoe. If you're not sure where that is, that's sort of out of Newcastle, the A69, and you just keep going, but we're on the other side of the river. Um, we're 11 miles from a place called Hexham, so you're bound to know Hexham, and if you get past us, it's sheep. It seriously is. Past us, there's just nothing till the Scottish border of 42 miles or so, 44 miles, something like that. So if you get to us and you ask for directions and you get a bar, you know that you've gone too far. If you get somebody talking to you, you know you're just on the edge of being in the right place. Um, I also... I'm a school teacher, a primary school teacher, three days a week in the center of Newcastle in a school that is um, very, very tough and children have uh, incredible difficulties as in many of our uh, schools, especially in inner cities. And so that's quite a, a demanding challenge, but it's a church school and we're able to bring into that situation a complete freedom to pray for the children uh, in the classrooms as whole classes and then um, as one-to-ones and small groups, we're completely free to pray with the children. And so we're able to bring the presence of God right into the school situation and family situations and uh, know God's power. Um, For over 10 years, I've been the only Christian in the school recently been joined by another young man who's a street pastor, and now we're able to pray over the school once a week in the morning in one of the rooms. And so we thank God for that influence that we're able to have, and really that's part of what I want to say uh, today. And so um, let's just pray just here at the beginning as we share these words. Father God, we thank you that you have called us all to live and move and be in this particular part of your world. We thank you for this region that we're in here of the Northeast. And we thank you that not by chance, but by your arranging of our lives that we're here. And we're here on purpose. And we thank you, God, that we're here today on purpose and with purpose. And today we just want to say, Father, I want to say, would you let me know you're enabling to bring what you would want and what is not from you and human thoughts just to fall to one side and be irrelevant in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't go out very often. Now, we do, but we don't come out to speak very often. Elin and I have been pastoring the church for about six years, five and a half years now. We never had any plans to do that. That wasn't on the agenda. God just caused us to be in a place at a time, and we stepped in to what we were challenged to do. 
but I think in five and a half years, this is only the second time that we've probably been out on the road. We don't have a tour truck. We've got a, a began that does all sorts of things that's not meant to do. So we don't get out very often, but um, we're happy to come and be here today and share with you. So we're going to read from Acts. In the New Testament, Acts 5, and we're going to read a few verses, uh, Acts 5, 12 to 16. Acts 5, 12 to 16. And it says, The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought onto the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits. And they were all healed. Amen. Recently, uh, in our church, this is not related to what we're going to say this morning, but I just want to say just very brief something about this. Recently in our church, we spoke about washing hands and washing feet. And we've been looking at Pilate. And we saw how Pilate washed his hands of involvement with Jesus and responsible responsibility for the cross. And we saw how Jesus, on his way to the cross, washed the feet of his disciples because he was fully committed to the cross. And I made the point that even as Christians, as followers of Christ, even though we know who Jesus is, like Pilate, and believe everything he says about himself, we can, in fact, wash our hands of Jesus and the cross when it personally costs us too much or gets too invasive on our lives. When it just demands too much and comes too close and the Lordship of Jesus wants every area of our lives and wants us to stretch and step out, we can sometimes wash our hands of the cross even though we know who Jesus is. I know for myself that I've washed my hands at times in my own Christian walk when it demanded too much of me. As a young man, a 16-year-old, I encountered Christ, although I'd been brought up in a Christian environment, but I encountered Christ. And it transformed my young life to where it, it, it was like passionate, that I wanted to know Christ. But at the age of 22 or so, I said to Christ, I'm having control of my own life and I'm turning my back on you. I said the words out loud, so I said, I want my own life. It cost too much. And then for the next many years, I just destroyed my life as much as I could. I went as passionately in the opposite direction to Christ as I had been passionate for him. 
And I remember that one night in 1989 in London where I'd taken myself off to thinking it would be fantastic. And it wasn't. I was very lonely. But I found myself one night in the Billy Graham rally in Earl's Court in 1989 faced with the challenge of would you come back and follow me? Would you give your life back to me? And I said no that night and I went away and I thought the cost is too great. Because I knew that if I was coming back, he had to be Lord of everything. And so I really, really thought, I'm only doing this if I can say, yes, have it all. And three days later, I walked back into the rally. This time with no emotion, no nice singing that was drawing me. But just a a radical decision that, yes, I wanted to follow the cross. And I wanted to follow Christ. I also made the point our church that as Christians, as Christ followers, lovers of Jesus, that we're called to wash the feet of others. In other words, we're called to embrace the cross and the cost of being a true Christian and serving others. And I asked our church, are you a hand washer or a feet washer? The cross is messy. To get involved with the cross costs everything. It costs the washing of feet. And it's, un- it's not nice often. Are we embracing the cross or keeping the cross at an arm's length? But today, I want to speak in the form of another question to you also. And I want to ask a strange question. What type of shadow are you casting? Or put another way, just how much influence do you have? Or how much are you influencing other people? My personal observations of you as a church is that you're a church of influence. From the outside looking in, You look like a church that casts a great shadow of God's influence across your communities. I felt that last week when we were at Red Car and saw the embracing of the cross, the washing of feet as you looked out over the town of Red Car. And I thought, this is a church of influence. This is a church that casts a God's shadow across the community. However, I felt still led to bring this message to you this morning. And I'm speaking to you as a whole because I know that you seek to reach Billingham, Stockton, and Redcar. But I'm speaking to you as a whole about influence today. We joined the apostles in Acts 5. And just for the context of Acts 5, it's the early days of the church. In chapter 1 of Acts, Jesus has returned to heaven. He's gone back to the Father. In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has come with power. And the people have experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's here today. The Holy Spirit is in this place today. And if you were just enjoying that worship and encountering God, you'll have encountered the Holy Spirit. As, as 
interspersed in the songs of worship, we heard the Holy Spirit breaking in and speaking to us. And so the early church was experiencing the Holy Spirit. How exciting. In chapter 3, healings have begun to occur with the miraculous healing of a crippled beggar. I feel that in today's church, if we're open to it, there's an increase in the miraculous power of God that should just become naturally, supernaturally natural or naturally supernatural, whichever way you see it round the right way. Because God's power is great to heal and to move and should feel more like riding a bike. When you get used to riding a bike and it just becomes natural, although you won't catch me going all the way around Kielder for some time. You will catch us on the river, on the, on the bank side, with our sandwiches and a flask, enjoying the view, but maybe not so much on the bike. So healings are a commonplace. Peter and John are speaking with boldness. They're experiencing confrontation and opposition to the gospel. Another picture of the church that... As we begin to move, there would be confrontation and opposition. But I have to say that people are desperate to know who Christ is. That there is opposition, especially spiritually. But people today in in our communities want to know Jesus. They're desperately reaching out. And sometimes it's people that we've never spoken to before that are just ready for you to say, would I, could I just pray for you in the middle of the high street? Is that okay? Oh, yes, that'll be fine. Could I just pray for you uh, just in the shopping aisle? I'll not make a big scene. I'll just pray for you. And people are actually like sponges wanting to know who Christ is. I feel that it's strong that people want to know Jesus. But this lot in Acts, they've been instructed, don't you talk about Jesus. Don't you go out of here and speak about the name of Jesus. And in chapter 5, the power of God is so evident in the early church that two people who lie to the Holy Spirit die. Wow, we want God to move like he did. And I feel that we're in that time. But for people to die because they've lied to the Holy Spirit, wow, that's a, that is scary. But such was the the power of God. Now, I'm sorry if you're trying to take notes, but we're going somewhere, and this is all just getting there. Okay. Elaine's nodding her head, so she's probably saying, "Just just get there quicker than you're getting there. So in this early church, there's a lot going on in the days of the church. And so we arrive at our story in chapter 5, and the apostles are performing many miraculous signs and wonders. It's an atmosphere where God is moving in great power. And the followers of Christ are meeting together regularly in the temple in an area called the Colonnade, which today is actually occupied by a mosque, believe it or not. And Cliff has probably, I know he's been there, and a few of you probably have as well, and know the location. And although the atmosphere is great and God is powerfully moving, many are too afraid to be associated with them or with the cross of Christ because it's dangerous 
at that time to be associated with the cross. If you're going to be associated with the cross, it's going to cost you. You'll be exposed to be associated with the cross. Yet the Bible says all the time people are coming to the realization of a living Christ. And it's our key verse here today that we've arrived at in Acts uh, 5 verse 15. It says, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought onto the streets on beds and mats so that people's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. And verse 16 says, uh, crowds came and they were all healed. And it's Peter's shadow, or rather Peter's influence, about which I want to talk today. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to be clear of, clear of about this sh- shadow and Peter. Peter was not the healer. Peter's shadow was not a healing shadow with some sort of mystical, magical power attached to it, like the recent hug. If you saw the news, thousands of people were lining up in London to get a divine hug. There's nothing divine in the hug. And there was nothing mystical and magical in the shadow. Jesus was the healer at work through the power of the Holy Spirit with Peter. There's no evidence that Peter's shadow healed anyone. But there are three key things to notice about this story. Number one, it's clear from this story in Acts 5 that common people in the community and in the neighborhood knew God was powerfully at work. Mrs. Jones at number five knew God was at work. Ben the baker knew God was at work. The common people just knew that God was at work, number one. Number two, the common people in the community wanted to be as close to the people who had the power of God working in them. Sorry, common people, number two, common people in the community also knew who it was God was working through. So number one, they knew God was at work, but number two, they knew who God was at work through. And number three, and this is exciting, Common people in the community wanted to be as close as it was possible to get to the people who had the power of God working in them, even if it meant just being in their shadow. What an amazing few things from this. People knew God was at work. They knew who God was at work in, and they knew that it was good to be around those people. Now, I believe that when I speak, I have to speak to myself. And I have to challenge me by what I feel God has given me. The challenge has to come to me. And so this story provoked some key questions for me. And I asked myself, who around me in my world, who in my communities, The communities that we touch, that I touch every day, 
Who knows that God's power is at work? Who knows that? Who knows in the communities that I'm in every day and that we're in every day, who knows that God's power is at work in us? Who in my world, who in my street, who in my school, who amongst my school staff, does my head teacher know that God's at work? In my house, do my family know that God's at work? Do they see God in me? Now, I don't mean, especially in the workplace, does it mean that I'm known as a Christian just because I'm a pain? And I'm always chatting on. No, I mean, who knows just by rubbing shoulders with me, day in, day out, that they're aware that God's at work that they're aware that God's at work in me. It's an interesting thought, and it often comes by not so much of the talk, but more of the being. Can you imagine carrying the presence of God? It's an incredible thought, but it it, it excites me more and more that we're carriers of the presence of God. So by walking into the paper shop, I've carried the presence of God in the paper shop. So who in the paper shop needs to encounter Christ? Maybe just by a helpful action. Maybe by a helpful word. Maybe by getting involved in some mess that they're in. Who in my world and in the communities in which I operate, I ask myself, wants to be around me because God is in me. And coming out of me, touching other people. Is there anyone I know, or that we know, who just even has to be, if you like, in our shadow? Or near our influence, because they know it's a good place to be. If I live near Red Car Church, and once I got to know what the heart of the church was, I would want, to be close to those people. Even if I didn't necessarily understand the gospel, even if I didn't really know who Jesus was, something in them would, it, would say to me, they are good people to be around because of their influence. I think that ordinary people, more than we realize, are drawn to, to unextraordinary to often unextraordinary people, if you feel an unextraordinary, ordinary people are drawn to you because God is in you. And I feel like all we have to do is, is search and passionately hunger for God and let Him just come out of us to the people around us. And so just how effective is my shadow Or how effective is our influence? I felt influenced today just being here when our brother was particularly just bringing that prophecy. And my spirit hooks into the passion and hooks into when there's a passion for God. And I think, um, I'll have what you're having. 
that's a cheap way of saying it really. No, I want that, I want that hunger. I want that passion for God because I know it's going to come out of us and be effective and touch other people. Infectious. Just recently at school, um, a member of staff approached me away from the eyes and the ears of anyone else in the school car park. Our school is quite a tall building, right bang in the city center, built up all around, but away from everybody else. She just asked for a word f- with me in the car park. She, she began to tell me the heartbreaking story of her daughter-in-law's brother, just a young man, maybe in his 30s or late 20s, who had suddenly died leaving a wife and two young children had done two, two, two tours of duty in Afghanistan and Iraq, but yet had come home and just gone. No warning, no illness, just snatched away from the family. And I listened to the story, and she asked, would you pray for us? Would your family, would you pray for us? And for this family, would you and your church remember us? To my memory, I've never talked with this member of staff about Christ. But something in her, maybe that she's heard someone else say, caused her to seek me out in the privacy of the school car park and asked, would you pray? I don't understand it. I don't know why I'm really asking you, but something in me says that there's something in you that I feel touches me at this particular moment. For me, it was a, it was a moment like when people needed to get near Peter or even be in his shadow. There was a recognition of God at work in me. I was excited by that. I was chuffed by that. It makes me more willing in the classroom when I'm having a word with a member of staff who has no Christian background to say, could I just pray if they're talking about a situation or circumstance? Could I just pray for you now? And the amount of times that someone is willing to say, yes, okay, I'm happy for you to do that. We don't have to go off into some, you know, be Benny Hinn. Or, or um, do something. We just need to just pray and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Just recently, the previous pastor, who is my father-in-law of 30 years, he hasn't been my father-in-law for 30 years, the pastor of the church for almost 30 years, because I'm only 30. It's not true. Um, he went to visit an 86-year-old member of the church in a home who's full of God. He's not a pain, but he's just full of God. And so he, he just has already started influencing the atmosphere in the old people's home and the residents who are there. But John, my father-in-law, took with him the influence and power of Christ into the home where Bill was, just by taking himself there. Or put another way, 
he went in and just cast his shadow around the lounge area where he was visiting because God's power at work within him. The result was, and you might not believe it, that he ended up for praying for, praying for the entire lounge. All sat round. Just because he was talking to, Brit, to, to Bill, and he said to Bill before he left, Bill, shall I just pray for you? Oh, yes, Pastor, he said, yes. Just prayed for him. And then the other people said, would you pray for us? And so he prayed for the entire lounge, stood in the middle of the lounge. And, and somehow what was in him, the power of God influenced the people in that home. Or in other words, it cast a shadow of God's power over an entire lounge. That lounge had never experienced probably the power of God in it before. Ha! Isn't that brilliant? I can't. It's like I'm, I'm struggling. You know when you get a new concept? I'm struggling to realize that we can just be like almost like on Christmas Day when you open your presents and you're just playing with your presents. I feel like it's almost just taking the Holy Spirit with you and playing in the environment or playing in the community and going, ha, what should we do today then? What mess should we cause today? What should we do in the high street or, you know, but, you know, all the time I'm saying, but we do it with common sense as well. But somehow what was in John, the power of God, influenced the people in that home, cast God's shadow. Now, the good thing about shadows and influence is that people can get caught in them by either by choice or simply by being in the vicinity. I'm sure there's people that you get affected by and you think, I don't really want to be around that person because when I'm around them, I don't feel so good. It makes, it affects me for not so good. But then there are other people that you think, oh, I like to be around them because they're a right good laugh. So some people can be affected by us just by being in the vicinity. In my case at work, my member of staff chose to come to me because she knew God's power was at work in me. In John's case, people benefited by being around him simply because he took Christ to where they were and cast his shadow and his influence. Either way, there must be one key factor that stays the same and simply it's this. God's power must be at continuous work in us or our influence and our shadow will be ineffective. If God's power is not at work in us and we're just trying to do what you do and look the part, it may even be damaging and give the wrong picture of what the Father looks like. But God must be at constant work in us. And if you're going to be a person of influence, a church of influence, a person in a church who casts a great shadow, a person or a church who has God at work touching the world around you and around me, then we need to do something vital. I'm sure you want to be a great influence. I'm sure that you want to be a great influencer. And I'm sure that you want to cast a great shadow. 
But for that to happen, I need and we need ourselves to be influenced by someone greater than ourselves. And we need to stay in someone's shadow who will be a great influence on us. Psalm 91, I'm sure for many of you, that's a special psalm. has become special over the years. But verse 1 says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91 tells us where it's best to dwell. And where it's best to rest. I would say this, that when you dwell in and rest in God, you will have influence. You will take something greater than yourself with you into your world. But the key is, you and I must dwell. Dwell. That speaks to me of staying close. Just recently, oh no, don't want that one yet. The dictionary says about dwell, it's to live or stay at a permanent residence. Or to live or continue in a given state. Just recently we've had around eight young men, plus their overseers, who were former drug addicts. Heroin addicts who have visited us at church on a few Sunday mornings. Totally out of the blue. Just turned up one Sunday morning. I didn't know what was happening. I thought, is it a gang? Are we going to get, is it trouble? They're just all piled in. But I was thrilled when we found out who they were and where they had come from. And they'd chosen to come to us. They'd actually been to another church, and another church had asked them not to come back. Because they had said, we don't really feel that you fit in here with us. But they came in looking, you know, in various states of recovery, really. And they're part of a Christian rehabilitation unit just 11 miles from us. And last Sunday, I talked with one of the young men following the service. He told me that of his five and a half years on the street with no permanent home, no permanent place to rest and shelter in. And he told me how one day he walked into a Christian drug center on the south coast and said he was desperate and he needed help. Within two days, they linked him to a Christian drug rehabilitation home. And for the last three years or so, he's known what it's been like to dwell. To rest in a place of residence under a great influence. It's an incredible thing to see. I want them to come back. I want them to journey with us. I want to bring something else. But he knew what it was to come to dwell. To stay somewhere in a place of safety. Jung's literal translation of this verse in Psalm 91 says, He who is dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, in the shade of the mighty, lodges habitually. It sounds like Shakespeare, doesn't it? Lodges habitually. In other words, they make a habit to stick close to God. 
I wonder what would you describe in your life as a habit? This is a great habit to stick to close to God. To stay in his influence, in his shadow. The great thing is that we don't have to look like each other spiritually. Do you ever compare yourself to someone else in the church? Or someone what seems higher up the pecking order? Do you ever think, I, I can't compare with them spiritually? I don't really know enough. Well, this is a good thing. We don't have to compare ourselves spiritually with anyone else. We don't even have to be a spiritual giant. Quite simply, we just need to want to love God more. To know Him better than we do now. To allow His Spirit greater influence on our lives. To encounter Him more on a personal level. All God needs for that is your heart to go, Dad, I want to be closer to you. That's it. Bingo, you're in. The door's open. Pass go, collect 200 pounds. Don't go to jail. Just the heart that says, I'm hungry. When God sees that in you or me, no matter who we are, he meets us. And our influence because of God at work in us is greater, more powerful. James 4 verse 8. I'm trying to go dead quick because I don't know what time was meant to stop. I'm almost there. James 4 verse 8 says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. The King James Version says it this way, draw nigh, if you remember the older words. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. In other words, God says, if you will, I will. If you will, I will. If you won't, but if you will, I will. So if you dwell... If you stay close to God and pursue God, God will meet us. And our influence will grow. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. As a parent, I wonder if you're a parent. We've got a teenage daughter, 18. We suddenly got a teenage boy, 18. On the street, got involved with our daughter. He now lives with us. It's been like suddenly just having a new baby, but they're 18 straight away. I had no experience of an 18-year-old boy, an 18-year-old boy with quite a few difficulties. And so it like went, went past the, we the, the creche, we went past all the, the uh, you know, Pokemon and all of those things that I had to go and see with Rebecca. And we just went straight to the 18-year-old lad. And so... We're parents, in a way, to two 18-year-olds. But I wonder if you, as a parent, ever remember any of these phrases that you might have said to your children. Here are some from our house growing up. Were you born in a barn? It usually meant you're leaving the doors open all over the place and the house is getting freezing. Were you born in a barn? Here's another one. These are from my dad. You have more money than sense. When I was 24, I got my first car. I was so pleased with it. It was an old Ford Escort. You know, like in the sort of, it was 19, early 1980s. So there wasn't really this really square Escort. It had these, this funny grill that went along and then sort of oblongy lights at the end. It was black. It had a spoiler on the back stuck on. It had... 
on the window these things that made it look, and the, and the front had had something raised up on the bonnet, and it had something called a Weber or something, in, and it, it made it roar. And I, I thought it was fantastic. The wheels on it were alloy, and it had bucket seats, like racing seats that you sat in. And I was amazed at it. And I took it down to my dad on the quayside in Newcastle, drove it down. I was so pleased with it. And I could see his face as he came along after he parked up his truck like this. And I thought, oh. And he says, what have you got there? And I said, isn't it fantastic? And he went round it. Now, my dad, this happens when you get to 60. And if you've got a dad like this, you probably know. When they have to check something, they start doing this. And if it's not broken or it's not going to fall off, it will by the time they're finished knocking it. And so he's going around and he's knocking it and banging it. And he's going, you've got more money. How much did you pay for this? And I told him, he says, well, you've got more money than sense. And he was right. It only lasted six months and blew up. <laughs> One of the reasons was, he said, go and put oil in it. Well, I didn't know how much you had to put in. So you usually put a liter in. I had a five liter carton so i just put all five liters in to realize i looked like one of the red arrows going around the village with all the black smoke behind us that was just the start of the problems when i sold the car i got more for the wheels and the seats but have you got more money than sense we feel a bit like that with our two now when we're saying them what do you want to go and buy that for and i find myself saying the things were you born yesterday that was another one but there was a phrase that I remember that fits in with what we're talking about today. And it's this. My dad used to say as I got an older teenager, you treat this place like a hotel. You've never said that. But my dad used to say, you treat this place like a hotel. Usually what it meant was you turn up when you want something. Usually money. Definitely food. Without doubt when you want your washing done, and quite often for a lift. What it says, do you, use, you use this place like a hotel, is, is that there's no real dwelling in the home. But only a coming and going when we need something. If we're not careful, we can have a hotel mentality to God. We can come occasionally to him without any real permanent commitment to him. We can come when we're forced to or when we really need something. But James 4.8 is saying, don't have a hotel mentality to God. It'll damage how God looks in the community. It'll damage how the church looks in the neighborhood. Don't have a hotel mentality. Choose to come near to God. But it's a choice. Take it or you can leave it. But if you choose, even though it just starts with a little choice, it'll have the potential of a huge oak for influence. And you don't have to be like anybody else. You just say, God, I want more. I just want to know you more. There'll be people who are sat in here today who have maybe only been here for a short time, maybe. Or there'll be people here who are here because somebody else influenced you. That you saw God in somebody else. And you're here because 
of the, the influence and because they chose to stick close to God. Psalm 91 saying, those who dwell, those who rest, those who have made it their business to know God will have influence. Why is all this so vital? And it is vital. Well, it's vital because in our world today, as I said earlier, in our communities, in the neighborhood of the street, in the neighborhood of the high street, in the neighborhood of the workplace in which we operate day in, day out, people need to know there's a God at work. Like in Acts. People need to just know God's at work. People need to know that God is at work in us. In us as the local church, in me. And it's vital because when ordinary people in our communities in which we live know that God is with us, they'll be under our influence, often without realizing it. And in increasing numbers, they'll actually want to be around us and our influence, specifically because they have God in us. This week, I found myself watching about human trafficking. On the TV, on God TV, actually, ran something called Stella's House. Ran other things in Eastern Europe. I am amazed that people in desperate situations, when the church turns up and the father turns up, just with his influence of love and touches lives that are destroyed, I'm amazed that you take something battered and bruised and broken and tossed away and change it. It's incredible. We watched last night a documentary of a young man and a team that were in Thailand and went into a bar where young women were, were, you know, available for business. And he just went over and before he left, he had prayed with about three people who said, yes, I'm happy to pray for you to pray with me. I don't understand it, but I'm happy for you to pray with me. Just because they said, would you like us to pray for you today? The judgment had gone. The, the, the preconditions weren't there. They just said, I'll just pray for you now. Incredible. I, I observed somebody at a New Age um, festival. A man came across and the, the prayer team were there and said, we'll just pray for you. The man began, fell to his knees. And another person came across and said, look, they're not from our side. You need not to let them pray. He says, but I can see a man on a white horse. <laughs> who's coming and he's, he's chasing the darkness away around from me. And I don't understand it, but I know something's happening. Just because people say, can I just pray for you? Influence the casting of a shadow. We can actually live Peter's story. I have never been to Bible college. I have never, I wouldn't even call myself a theologian. Probably half of what I say would have to be marked as, oh, well, he almost got it right. But what I have and what I want to pursue and what I want to just come out there is that I want to be passionate for God. And I want God to ooze out of me into the neighborhood. I do believe that when more of us pursue God with greater desire, greater determination and greater urgency, we'll have an incredible influence, more than we'll realize. Proverbs 11.10, and we're almost there, says, When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. Another version says, the city prospers. I think that Billingham 
Stockton and Redcar and Prudhoe are better off for having a group of people who want to be serious with God. Not religious, not look a certain way, sound a certain way, but are just serious about being God, being the gospel. I think that Billingham, Stockton, Redcar and Prudhoe would be even better off if more decided to want to stick close to God. I think our high streets are influenced because we're here carrying him in and out of the shops. I think our workplaces and neighborhoods are influenced by the shadow of God's presence we're cast across it. How much influence do you have? How much would you like? Well, it comes with pursuing God and casting great influence. Psalm, and we just finished, Psalm 63, verse 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. How hungry, how thirsty Are you for God? This is the greatest challenge to the church today. Or let me say, one of the greatest challenges today. How hungry and how thirsty are you for God? Just how close to God do you really want to get? How permanently are you prepared to dwell in God? These are vital questions. Because our influence, the casting of our shadow over this community and over the communities of our northeast in which we live and move depend on it. Can I encourage you today? Get hungry. It's clear there's hunger here. If you're a spiritual person and you know God, you sense it when you come in. You know God's here. And so there is hunger But can I encourage you, get more hungry. Get more thirsty for God. And watch your influence grow even greater than you can imagine it is at the moment or could become. Amen.